right. Good morning. Good day. Good afternoon, everyone. Here we are at another episode of Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. And today we have Joshua Stewart. Um, Josh, I believe you prefer to go by Josh. <laughs> now that yeah, I've called that, you a... Go ahead. No, that 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 works. Uh, you know, as as an IT nerd, it's Josh, Joshua, sometimes Stewart, go by the last name. Or uh, hey, this is broken. Get over here and fix it. I go by that too. So, uh, you know, whatever we need. <laughs> oh man, allergies. Had to answer to that a few too many times myself. All right. Well, Josh is the uh, director of IT over at um, 1888. Is it 1888 Technologies? Uh, 1888 India. Industrial Services. That's right. That's right. I'm sorry about that. And. Um, Go ahead and uh, introduce yourself to the uh, listeners and tell us a little about your history and what you do. What's unique about your industry? Yeah. Uh, well, hello, fellow IT geeks and nerds and everyone else that's listening or interested in this. Um, as Mike said, my name is Joshua Stewart. I am the IT director here at 1888 Industrial Services. Uh, 1888 is an oil and gas company. So we are um, kind of an outlier in technology space because oil and gas is uh, just as old as everything else. They operate under things like it's, uh, you know, the 1920s, 1930s. Uh, a lot of handshake deals and backroom type of deals and and uh, your word is your bond. So in this industry, things are a lot different and a lot slower to adapt to things because you deal with a lot of people that are very used to face-to-face -face interactions and handshakes. Um, and that's not necessarily how things can get done anymore, especially since, you know, uh, post-pandemic, you know, that screwed everything up for everybody and put everyone into a spot to where it's, oh, we can't always do this face-to-face -face or anything like that. So it's been a very slow adaption process in this field and industry. Um, but, you know, things are starting to move along and they're starting to adapt to things like cybersecurity, which was a very big pain, and they're starting to adapt to things like cloud and and storage and all that fun stuff. So, um, you know, it's a opportunity here to expose a lot of people to different new technologies that are going on, um, and it's great for myself because it you know keeps you interested in what's coming up, and you get to view all this new tech that gets to come out and uh, see how it's going to work for you. So that's kind of uh, the story of 1888 and where we're at and a little bit about my background right there. Cool. Um, you know, I, I got a coworker who uh, ironically is heading up the uh, cybersecurity group for us. And he's done some work in oil and gas, but uh, I think they were doing pipelines. Do you guys have to deal with pipelines? Deal with pipelines a little bit. Uh, we do a lot of construction on well sites. So we build the compressors um, and the you know the redundant pump measures and everything like that that kind of helps their drills pull everything out. Um, okay, so, that's, so the uh, the reason I was asking was around the like the PLC technology because there's there's a technology that hasn't moved that meter hasn't moved much in the last few decades. I think it's it's starting to move a lot more. But do you are you having to deal with any of the uh, what's PLC stand for? Um, Something controller, primary, physical. Yeah, so uh, programmable logic controllers. That's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, 
so we don't necessarily deal with a lot of that. That's a lot more related to the rigs um, and the and those drills themselves. Um, so PLC in this instance is a lot more um, on that side uh, for whoever we're we're working with. So like we build sites for companies like Chevron and uh, Occidental and ConocoPhillips, um, places like those. So they have a lot of these things in place. So we really just come in uh, from a company standpoint and kind of do the grunt work uh, for them. Uh, so, I mean, from a IT perspective for our guys out of the field, it, there's not a whole lot there. But internally, when it comes to building the projects, when it comes to mapping out the construction sites and all of that, that becomes you know where, where the fun begins for me. Um, and that's been uh, a good trip to figure out uh, some of the different technologies that exist in this space that you're not used to seeing maybe in, in normal corporate jobs. You know, one of the things that immediately hits or comes to mind is your connectivity. How are you getting connectivity? Because you got to be out in the middle of nowhere in a lot of places. Are And that's, you know, uh, I don't know how you guys do with... Uh, with, with dropping some company names and stuff like that. So hashtag Verizon, hashtag uh -huh. they're amazing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we have uh, we have a really good representative with Verizon Wireless. Um, so we use corporately for, for our stuff, uh, for cellular stuff. Um, and uh, they partner with a company called CSG who makes these enterprise style uh, mobile hotspots. Um, and these things are a lot more powerful than just a normal uh, hotspot that you may have in your backpack um, or the hotspot on your on your iPhone or Android um, that you could use there. These are built so the uh, the data doesn't get scaled down when you hit a certain level. Um, so it's really meant to work like a portable office in a way, the way these things are built. And um, the size of these things are they're relatively small. Um, <clears throat> probably about the size of a mini, uh, PC, maybe a little bit smaller than that. Um, but the power that these put out will get you at least, uh, you know, LTE signal in the middle of nowhere where you typically wouldn't have anything. So it utilizes, you know, the, these internal boosters, it has a little bit of the satellite technology built into it. Um, so there really hasn't been a site yet knock on wood that we've run into to where these haven't worked um and you can attach up to 50 devices uh fairly comfortable on one of these things so we usually have two or three at a site uh for all the workers and stuff that's going on um and then we actually program those to act as uh we we put the virtual vpn gateway on so they act as you know normal wi-fi like you're in our building so you don't lose functionality to some of your uh, folders or programs internally that you need to have access to that require those those type of VPN connections. What was the name of the device again? So it's by a company called CSG, and they have a bunch of different models. The one we use is the CSG M106. Sorry, got a, got a little bit of interest in that, so I'll have to, I'm making a note for myself offline. Off so as I was looking at your LinkedIn, I noticed something that really kind of stuck out. Actually, I saw two things that stuck out and um, that you've been doing on the side, it seems. So uh, Sparta Sports and Entertainment. Tell me more about that. <laughs> yeah. So 
um, Sparta Sports and Entertainment, they are um, in this Mountain West region, the largest mixed martial arts combat sports promotion uh, that operate in this area that is not UFC or Bellator. So they're very regional based. They have a lot of uh, up and coming professional fighters, um, guys that are typically getting, you know, their first couple fights before they move on to a UFC or a Bellator guys and girls. Um, and, uh, they have a bunch of amateurs that are, you know, wanting to get their feet wet, um, and, and see if fighting in combat sports is, is what they want to do. Um, so they've been in existence for going on close to 20 years. Um, and uh, they actually have a huge uh, event coming up April 29th in Loveland, Colorado at the Budweiser Arena, Budweiser Event Center called Army vs. Marines 14. So it's AVM 14. Um, and basically what this card is and what they do is they take professional fighters and amateur fighters that are associated with our military and armed forces. And those in the, are going to be the, the men and women that are fighting in the ring and in the octagon, um, that night. So, uh, it's kind of cool. You know, it's, again, it's, it's completely different than the it side of things, but there's a lot of bleed over that really actually goes into it more than you would really think. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it's super fun. And I'm actually the, uh, the ring announcer for them. Now I started doing that, uh, um, for them in January of this year, but I've been, doing some ring announcing on and off, uh, for about the last five or six years. Uh, apparently I just have a voice for it is what they tell me. So well, cool. Right on. So, so wait a minute. You mean you don't leave the office, go home and just sit at a computer at home and, and jack in and, and stay a nerd the whole time. <laughs> no, that's I, what my, that's what my mobile phone is for. I, uh, put in my yeah. AirPods and I just continue to be a nerd and listen to, in all seriousness, I'll listen to you know this podcast or I'll listen to other podcasts and stuff like that and you know continue to grow my knowledge. I attend a lot of these virtual conferences on my uh on my iPhone or my iPad, um, throw my earbuds in and and listen to these conferences and, and just continue to learn. It's one of these one of those things you can never really fully unplug. You know that. Yeah, yeah, I do. That's why I was saying that facetiously. I you know we <laughs> I'm constantly learning or doing something with technology, but but I do have a life and interest outside of the uh, the computers and the world there. So, um, and it, it was just that's one of the reasons that it stuck out to me was that you know, I, and I just it's got to be fun being the uh, ring announcer. You got to have some of the best seats, man. <laughs> I have some great seats, um, and what's really funny is, at least for me, you know, when I was a kid growing up. Like most kids um, my age, you know, you played uh, baseball in the front yard with, with your friends and did a lot of those things like yard baseball or football or street hockey, stuff like that. And I was the kid. Imagine we're all playing and someone, if we're playing baseball, someone comes up to bat. I step away off of whatever field or yard we're playing in. And I would announce them like we were playing at like Dodger Stadium or but, you know, playing at the, uh, the big A in Anaheim. Cause I'm from California originally. And I always did that from the age of like four. And it was one of those things 
to where I was called out of the blue, like I said, five or six years ago by a uh, company in Oklahoma. And they were like, hey, uh, we need a ring announcer. We heard you have a voice. Do you want to do it? And for me, it was like childhood dream come true. Yes, I'll do it. And it was at an, uh, at this hole-in-the-wall VFW bar in, in uh, Clinton, Oklahoma. And uh, there was, I think, maybe 50 or 60 people there. And I went full just, you know, I acted like we were in Square Garden. Like, I went full on for these guys and, and, and girls that fought. And uh, since then, they were like, holy crap, you're, uh, you're, you're pretty good. So I just kind of move around and find other, other promotions. And right now, like I said, with Sparta doing it. Um, and for me, kind of Sparta is that, uh, that top tier rung. Like I don't have an, I have, I have a career in it. That's why we're having this conversation. So I don't want to go, uh, I don't want to go to, you know, join uh, some other organizations and do it. But if the opportunity is there, I will, and I'll continue to do my it work. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, our, our, world has changed a little bit and our ability to do multiple things from different places um, has definitely expanded. Although I am definitely a believer in switch tasking versus multitasking. What are you, what are your thoughts about that? Cause I don't, I, I can't, I find myself really failing if I try to do that air quotes, multitasking at doing two things at the same time. You know, that's, uh, it's actually very good. It, I guess it depends on what you're doing. It's how I feel about it. Right. Um, I, I times where multitasking, um, is easy for me to do. Um, but typically that's, you know, in the environment, like here at, you know, here at 1888, I find it fairly easy to multitask with a bunch of the different duties that come with being a director of it and the technology piece. But then if you start to bleed in, you know, um, anything that's kind of outside of the scope of technology, then, then I tend to follow you to where, you know, uh, multitasking is out the window. Um, and, and now we're just going to focus on, on the tasks as they come up, um, and kind of try to stay focused that way. Um, when you get that bleed over, it's a double-edged sword because that bleed over can be a downfall, but even though, and then sometimes it can be amazing. Um, you know, as, as we continue to work on complex issues in the IT field, there's a lot of times to where when you take that step back and you focus on another task, a light bulb will go off. It, it could be related to the other task or not. Um, but that refocus, you know, tends to, to help you, uh, out what another solution would be or find, um, outside of the box ideas to come up with, with new ways to do things. Um, and that's how the innovation keeps going. Definitely. I, I, I experienced a lot of that too. I, you know, and I kind of walk back my statement a little bit, like I can listen to a podcast or an audiobook while I'm driving and I don't have a problem with that multitasking. But if I'm trying to listen to the same podcast or, or audiobook while working on an issue at work, I quickly find myself much more focused on the task and 
like half an hour will go by in the book and I know that I have not listened to anything in that time period. I, it's been playing in my ears. It's been going on, but but I have not heard or retained any of it. And so that's where I was thinking. And and like what you're talking about with the um, the multiple tasks at the office, you know, I'll have many tasks that need to be accomplished in a day, but I can only focus on one and give it my true attention. And then I have to disengage from that one and then move to the next one. I can't, I'm not very good at juggling too. I, I thought I was, but I've come to realize that the lack of focus causes issues with both. Yeah, no. And I think it depends too on, on what that task <clears throat> is for, right? Like there's going to be times to where, uh, and I'm sure you've experienced it as well to where you can bite those two tasks. Um, but then there's a bunch of times where you can't. And, and to me, uh, that's kind of where time management comes into play. Um, to figure out your priorities and things like that. And then um, <clears throat> structuring either the time around those or, or your day around those, depending on how big they are and what the impacts are. Um, and that's when I run into those things all the time, I have, uh, I am blessed in my office to have a giant wall that they painted with the whiteboard paint. Um, <laughs> so you could draw all over my walls and all over my walls, I have, you know, those little side notes. Um, you know, I, I do have, uh, like most people, I do have a form of ADHD. Um, but I have, uh, it's not hyperactive, it's hypo. So it's kind of the reverse of. And um, I have all these little scatter notes all over my wall that help me with those things because, It'll be like that to where, okay, I can't focus on this. I'll jot it down real quick. Um, and then when I go to build my schedule for, for later in the day or for the next week or whatever it is, I kind of use those, those notes to kind of guide and structure, you know, what, what's going to get worked on and when it's going to get worked on. Okay. Um, tell me a little more about your, some of your history. Tell me um, about where you started and, and how you got into IT and, and, you know, you talked about being an announcer and how that was kind of a dream from the beginning. How did, how did you end up um, telling other nerds what to do? So, you know, again, an interesting story. Um, so I was never really a computer nerd, so to speak. Growing up, um, it wasn't until I was probably about 13 or 14 years old. Um, my mom was working for retirement bank doing IRAs and 401ks. And uh, she had been working there for probably 10 to 15 years at that point. And she would bring home every year a bunch of outdated computer equipment. Um, so the bank would pull out hard drives and say, hey, we have all these computers. You guys can take them. And my mom would take them and bring them home. So I had a basement full uh, of literal just junk computers that had, you know, some pieces here, some pieces there. Um, and I, you know, one day was sitting downstairs and looking at them and going, I wonder what it would take to take these apart and fix them and put them back together. And 
and do all that. So I kind of self-taught. Again, this is a time before you know Google and YouTube and and all of that. Um, you know, you're you're reading. I mean, it's very very early internet to where everything was blog posts because it was still you know kind of kind of DOS based, um, and you had to ha- know exactly where you were going for things. So you know, a lot of it was computer articles and a lot or computer articles, a lot of uh, the articles about computers in old magazines. Um, right. And, uh, stuff like that. Um, and then just talking around with friends and everything like that. So I took this wall full of computers and would Frankenstein them and put them back together and, and make them work. And, um, you know, I always looked at it more as a hobby, um, or something to do after school, uh, as a teenager. And then, uh, you know, you kind of fast forward through life and um, about 15 years ago, 17 years ago, actually, um, I ended up getting a job at that same place my mom was working. And I started as um, just a normal processor inputting, you know, customer client names and, and addresses and opening up their IRA accounts for their retirements. And I did that for a couple of years um, and still would mess around with computers on the side at home and, and everything like that. And uh, just one day out of the blue, they had posted internally a position for help desk and uh, kind of a light bulb went off and went, wait a second, I can actually make money doing what I really enjoy doing on the side, like doing at home. Um, it was something I never put together. I mean, my first job, I worked at Sam Goody as a, uh, as a kid in high school. So that tells you how old I am. For those of you that don't know, Sam Goody was a place where you could buy, uh, records, which are those big vinyl things that are making a comeback right now. Um, and at the time cassette tapes and some CDs. So it was a music store. You didn't go to iTunes. We didn't have that way back then. <laughs> um, but I, so I always did stuff like that and customer facing customer service jobs. And then, you know, um, when this came up, it was that realization. And at this company, I had some absolutely amazing human beings, managers, uh, David Sokol, one of them, uh, Chris Kelly, another one. Uh, these guys, really kind of took me under their wing and taught me very basic help desk things, but then gave me tools to be like, figure out what you want to do. They would put me in situations uh, to learn as much as I could and figure out ways that I wanted to go. Um, And one of the cool things for me was coming from the world of being an actual end user, a, a customer, um, it gave me a perspective to go for IT groups to go, Hey, we may not think this is a priority, but this is how things work. And these are the procedures for, for our end users, for, for people on the floor, for customer care, for this, for that. And this is why this would be a higher priority or a bigger issue. Um, so because of that background and having those conversations, you know, it helps then kind of better the IT organization in a whole because we can refocus on things and start to solve problems in a different way 
where now all of a sudden, you know, IT is no longer the black sheep in a, in a company that's always getting blamed for stuff, but they're going, wow, they've been a lot more responsive. They've been this, there's, they're driving, you know, some, some change and innovation. Um, and that really bit me with that bug to go, all right, you know, I want to obviously continue to grow my career here and I want to get, um, you know, as, as far as I can go and, um, learn as much as I can. So I, uh, at that point in time and with those managers and, and the people that I had that, that trained me and, and kind of, you know, brought me into the, the family of IT, they taught me, you can never learn too much. There's no one that will ever know everything about IT. I know there's some of us out there that like to say that. Um, but the, the, the truth is Google is a friend and it's a friend for a reason because you can't remember everything. Um, and one thing I've found through all of that is, you know, as long as you can say, I don't know, but I will find out. If you don't say no, but you say, I don't know, let me find out. It's a huge difference for people. And it shows that, no, you want to learn and you're going to figure out a solution to the issues and the problems and whatever they are. And it goes from there. So, I mean, it's just been, again, because of my customer service background and all the other jobs that I had had, and then going into the IT field, you know, I, I am, there's a few of us out here, a few extroverts that are in the IT field, but we're few and far between. Um, but I am one of those. And, uh, yeah, it's just it's been it's been a journey to go through, and it's helped uh, help push me to where I'm at now. You know, I my uh, I I always associate myself with a geek versus a nerd, and and I think that really has to do with the fact that that when I was growing up, you know, uh, Revenge of the Nerds was out, and so the the stereotypical nerd was the guy with the pocket protector skinny super tall and total geek and and not physical at all and half of the people on my team are fitness focused and um there are more and more extroverts getting into our field too um so that some of that is breaking but there are those ones that, that still like to just you know, the introverts, you're right. Um, I I would like to say real quick to that point, I am a proud member of Lambda, Lambda, Lambda because <laughs> of our friends of the nerds. So <laughs> I don't mind identifying as a nerd, but my kids have told me that a definition of a nerd, and I've heard it both ways now, that a nerd is somebody who finds something and become super knowledgeable about that one thing. So, you know, an anime nerd or, you know, it's not just a technology nerd. It doesn't just mean that, that you know technology. Now it can be any given topic. Yeah, you know, that that's interesting. I <clears throat> I always looked at it kind of the reverse. Like if you knew a lot about a topic like anime or you know, IT for that matter, or, you know, whatever it may be, I always looked at that as you're a geek. And I, <laughs> and, I and to your point, I, I always associated nerd with Revenge of the Nerds. The, lambda, the lambda, pocket lambda. protector, yep. Pocket protector, take on the glasses, 
you know, uh, the daily swirlies, uh, stuff like that. So, but I mean, obviously that definition has changed and, and the interpretation has changed over, over the decades. But I mean, like I have a 16 year old daughter who is an absolute anime geek, right? Like yeah. she is 100% in, I couldn't tell you one thing from another when it comes to anime, but she will fire these things off. She does the cosplay and the, and the makeup and the dress up and, and all of that. But to me, that's uh, no, you you are a total geek with this stuff, right? Like, but again, it, it's just, I think it's also regional based. Like everyone grows up what you consider a geek and a nerd, but you know, there's, there's so much bleed over there where they really could be both the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, they can. I mean, it, it definitely is is um, just kind of a personal preference, and and experiential. You know, that was something else that I that I I think you and I kind of both grew up in that time where um, movies were <laughs> you got to see them at the theater while they were out, otherwise you missed it. Um, you watched the three, maybe four channels of TV that were out there for a while. And um, there was no time slipping of shows. So if you missed that episode, it was years before it went into reruns. So um, I, we had a shared experience back then. And now there's so much out there that the experiences, people can choose the experiences and the, the when they consume them. Yeah, it's, it, and that's so it's so fascinating and it's so cool. I mean, that just shows you again, from IT perspective, initial, the, the innovation that exists, the, the cloud-based stuff and kind of all of this remote access stuff that, that really does morph into, you know, what, what you on a daily basis for work purposes in, in corporate jobs or jobs that require you kind of more of that, traditional office type thing. Um, and a lot of that you can really attribute to, you know, the, the tech like a Netflix and, and like even, you know, before the Netflix, the red box, you know, that, that was the initiative or the, the big innovative thing. Um, and then you get the Netflix and now you have, you know, all of these streaming things. But then if you look at tech that kind of goes along with it, we totally take our cues from those industries and those innovations on, you know, now you have things like, uh, you know, your, your shared OneDrives and SharePoint and Google Drive and things like that to be able to get access on demand to now your, your files and folders and shared content. So it's very much kind of the same thing. And it's so interesting to see where, again, that the entertainment pieces go because we're not far behind um, in doing something very similar in the IT field. Right. Trying to think of how the, uh, well, I'm one of the things that's my organization and even I'm still struggling to adapt, adapt to or leverage as well as I can, but like the multi-tenancy. So having the shared documents and having everybody work from the same file can be a great actually i haven't found the downside of it yet because with the auto versioning and everything else that's out there you can always get back to where it was um 
But instead of the 15 or 500 copies of it that get thrown around in email that are static. So here's something very interesting that with you bringing that up with this is actually in here at 1888 and in the oil and gas industry, this is a big deal. So one of the biggest issues, so I, which again, it's not necessarily an issue because to your point, you got the auto saves and you've got the restore points on documents and, and everything like that. But here, just as an example, we have a uh, a dreaded Excel spreadsheet that is probably 10 years old that has all of these formulas and all of this data. And so I know all you IT people out there and people getting into the industry, you're going to find these all over the place. These are the Man. dreaded sheets where you're like, no, why are we doing it this way? But. That's how they've done it here for so long. So these sheets, if they open them up on, so we use OneDrive here at 1888 and SharePoint. So when you open up or the document on the shared drive, it automatically, right? Even if you have autosave on, it'll start to refresh and say, hey, there was a change made. Someone opened it. Um, They may not have changed anything yet, but it's going to do that across the board. One of the things that we have found here is that if two people open up the same document, a lot of people here like to turn autosave off so they can make changes and not push the change up to the cloud, right? They don't impact any of that stuff. But when they do that, it ends up creating that local copy, like you were talking about, like it's shared in emails all over the place. And changes still get made on the actual autosave. And we have seen a couple times, oh, I go to save the changes on my offline one. Oh, there were other changes. Do you want us to merge these? Okay, merge them. But it doesn't always happen that way. So we end up with a lot of times where we get that document that, hey, I just worked on this thing for three hours and made all these changes and they were there. And now all of a sudden, an hour later, they're gone. And that's because someone overwrote that file with their auto-saved one or with their non-auto-saved one, right? So, Oh, man. Yes. So, there is, again, it's a fairly easy thing to fix then. It's like, all right, restore, take this one, merge them, right? There's that manual piece that you have to do there. Um, but that that is one of the challenges that we've seen here um and, and the other imagine the nightmare on that one when somebody doesn't realize like they make their changes on a friday afternoon take monday and tuesday off and then by then multiple other people have touched this thing worked on it and then they open it up and go where's all my stuff and then trying to untangle that mess oh man <laughs> Tell you what, that has been a it's really a tale of my life every two to three weeks is that something like that tends to happen. Um, no. So you try to build policies and procedures and, and try to educate the users as best you can and be you know, this is how the documents work. Uh, here's a best practice. Here's what we want to do. Yep. 
as we all know, users are users. And I can say that as, as a our user in the IT and be like, they don't know what they're talking about. Still do it my way. Um, it would break. And I'd be like, I totally should have listened to them. It's how users still are today. Um, and so the same thing happens. And quite literally, yesterday, this exact same thing happened. I had our CFO come into my office and go, I'm pulling different data than what, you know, one of our one of our accountants are pulling. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. The accountant was working off a uh, locally stored copy of the uh, of whatever spreadsheet they were on. And yes, it's pointing at the server and it's supposed to be pulling the data out of the database, but he's not updating that sheet. And because he's not updating and saving that change, whoever just opens this file, they're going to see the historical data, not the new stuff. Um, and, that, and that's kind of where a lot of this went. And trying to explain that to you know both the CFO and one of the accountants, they were like, but if it's coming from this place, it should all be the same. And it's not putting together that you're not wrong, but you're referencing a file. And where's your file at? And that's the first thing it's going to do. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And try to explain that one sometimes. And because, of course, their computers are probably desktop computers in different rooms. It's not very easy for you to bring them right next to each other and say, Look, <laughs> look at where this one is. Look at where that one is. You're, you're having well, to grab them by the hands and bring them from office to office if you can. So the great thing <laughs> here is, and this is a lot of places, and you can think pandemic for it, but a lot of places finally went, all right, we're going full laptop um, and really phased out desktops. And, and 1888 was one of those to where it was, Hey, we got to continue to do work remotely. Everyone gets a laptop and they quickly phased out all of their desktops. So um, here now, there are zero desktops in this entire environment. Um, and because of that, one of the things I was able to do, um, you know, very quickly into my tenure here was migrate full off of uh, on-prem AD to Azure Cloud AD. Um, now everything here is 100% cloud. We have no on-site servers. We have a couple of virtual servers for, for some of our things, um, but nothing on-prem. It has completely lightened that, that footprint um, and that budget piece from an IT perspective. So, you know, the board looks at it and they go, hey, you have saved us X amount of money a year because um, we don't have to pay for maintenance or or change this equipment, or do this and do that. Um, so for them, it's great. For me, from an IT perspective, it just grows, again, the, where we can go and where we can actually do things from. Um, so we're not, you know, we have offices, but we're not tied to them anymore. So I, I want to step back into another, an earlier part of our conversation. We were talking about how, um, where you came from, where you came into IT. And I heard something and we talked about it a little bit before the uh, before the this interview. And that was that, so you came from a world of customer service and some of your earliest managers gave you lots of opportunities to learn and to grow. 
And, and you mentioned how you've brought that forth in your career and you're using that as one of your primary tenets of leadership. So yeah. tell me a little more about that. Yeah. So I, again, with my everything, and I always joke with people because they're like, what have you done in your careers? And I'm like, uh, it's easier to ask me what I haven't done because that list is a lot shorter and, and easier to go through. Um, so I've been exposed to a lot of different things, a lot of different ways of doing business, um, a lot of what bit, a lot of different ways on how to lead people and manage people. Um, so like, let me kind of preference everything with saying, you know, I played team sports. I am one of those kids. I played baseball and hockey and soccer my entire life and through high school um, up to college. And the idea of team is always instilled in me. And because of that, you kind of learn like on a sports team, you know, there's going to be leaders on a sports team. And, and those are the guys that kind of help rally and push and, and teach and, and do all of those things. And I kind of always gravitated that way. Now, I wasn't always the best player on the field. You know, nine times out of 10, I, I wasn't, you know, in the top 10. Um, but I had the skill and the knowledge of what needed to get done and, and was very good at working with teammates and stuff to where, you know, that leadership type uh, quality started to come out. In IT, when I ran into the managers that really took me under the wing, they also understood that concept of team and what it means to be on a team um, and what it means to be a, a true leader. You know, um, I think we've all seen the memes and stuff out there about, you know, a manager. There's the one I could think of, uh, stick figures, the guy sitting in like a, in a throne and it says manager and it shows people pulling him. Right. Um, and then it has the one with leader where the guy's not in the chair, but he's in front of the guys and they're all pulling it together. Um, and I think that's the, one of the better illustrations, if you're just trying to picture it, what the difference between managing and is. Um, so I tend to do that in my style of management leadership. It's, you know, very much the lead by example, lead by doing. And I, a lot of that, again, I learned from those early IT managers. And it's, again, when I bring on new staff um, and we're, or we're looking to hire and bring them on, you know, I, to me, I don't necessarily care about what your experience is. What I care about is, do you have knowledge, right? Do you know where to look or what to do if you don't have the knowledge? And Google. And I've said that in interviews. I actually said that in my interview for, uh, for 1888. They were like, well, what do you do with this? And they asked some very, very long technical question. And I looked at them and I go, honestly, with how much things change in IT, I can't, I honestly can't remember what the proper way to do that would be. So honestly, I would pull up, you know, a web browser, I'd pull up Google and I'd find the most current way to do this. And that's how I'd fix that problem. Um, and you know what? Most people, most managers, senior leadership, C-level, 100% will be, thank you for that honesty. And 
like it shows big. That's what they want, right? They want people that are going to be honest and upfront with them. And so I teach that um, with people that I bring on is don't know. Tell me you don't know. And then let's put you in a situation or in a spot to where can know and we can learn and let me give you resources to do that. And you know, here's this and here's that. I'm not a guy who sits in my office and closes the door all day and says, don't talk to me. I'm a guy that has my door open literally uh, out of a 10 hour day. My door is open nine, uh, nine and a half hours. The half hour it's closed is because I've had enough and I feel like going office space on the equipment in my office. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but you know, other than that, it, like it, come in and talk to me, come in and ask the questions. And I'm very much one of those. And I will, when something comes up, I go sit with my guys and, and I go, okay, where are we at? What's going on? What's your trouble? What's your stopping points? You know, what are you dealing with? What? And, and it's not just in a professional level. They, there's a lot of personal stuff. These, these guys and girls deal with too. Um, and it bleeds into work. Like I always tried a long time ago to go, look, when you walk in the door, as soon as you hit the door, you leave your personal stuff in a bag outside, leave for the day, you can pick it back up. And that's so much easier said than done. Oh, right? yeah. And so you're always going to have that kind of bleed through and bleed over. So uh, we're human. Show it. Right. Don't be afraid to just be like, I'm having a rough day. Or if you're a manager, if you're in the role, guys, I'm here for you. Door is open. You know, we can close it and talk if we have to. You know, tell me what I can do to help you. Tell me what I can do to to assist you and get past this. You know, whatever it may be. Um, but I'm big at giving them tools. I'm big at putting people in in opportunities to learn more. Um, you know, if, if I have a brand new uh, I do this a lot with, we get a lot of interns. So we're in Greeley, Colorado. We're right up the street from um, the University of Northern Colorado, UNC here in Greeley. Um, and we do internships. And I'm very big on this with, with the interns when they come in. Is it goes, you know, about what you learned in school, because that is about 10 years old already. Um, and that's the unfortunate thing with school is it's going to teach you all that old stuff. So it goes, yeah. let's, let's forget that. And, and let's start over. What, what do you know? Show me what you know on a computer. Show me where the physical stuff is. If you don't know, that's fine. I'm going to sit here and take the time to teach you. Like I'm not, it's not below me. I still, as a director now, will get under desks and plug in cables. No, I don't want to be a, you know, a, a, a 50, 60 year old, director or or you know eventual cio or anything like that that is getting under a desk if i have to i will right like it's not beneath me and i think that's a big thing for people in, in leadership roles management roles or even uh people that are just getting into the field or aspiring to advance right? you're not going to leave something behind the second yeah. you leave something behind is the second you kind of uh, you throw in the towel and you start to lose a little bit of made you who you are originally and got you to where you're at. Oh, you know, uh, 
the philosophy I like to throw out there is follow up, follow through, because that that yeah. leaving something behind. You know, I I like to make sure that the whoever I'm helping agrees that whatever we were working on is done, and then I'll come back real soon after that. Hey, everything's still good, and that's the follow up, and then follow through is coming back like two weeks later, because there's so many times um, that that they hold on to problems they, they people just find some different kind of workaround or, or just continue to struggle with the problem versus asking for help. You know, that, that saying, I don't know. And the skill of asking for help seem to be, um, seem to be those weird things that, that many of us are afraid to admit, Hey, I need some help. Or, hey, I don't know, but I'll go figure it out. Let's go. No, and that's so big. I think to kind of add to that, the biggest thing I tell people, and I and I truly do practice this um, myself, uh, and I do because I've worked with my mom. Um, it's 100%. How would I explain this to my mom? And then how would I help my mom? Right? So it's very much to your point. The, you know, the, the following through on it um, and then, you know, and doing the extra follow-up, taking that extra step uh, to me, it's, that's exactly what I would do with my mom or my dad, right. Or even my grandparents. Um, you know, I, I will take the time. They don't necessarily understand tech. I will take the time to sit there and explain it to them. I will take the time and I literally do this with everyone I go sit to, depending on what the issue is. If it's something that user can fix themselves without admin, like something as simple as changing your display orientation, do I take the time and sit there and go, all right, here's how we can do this in the future. This is probably how this happened, why you ran into this issue. You know what? Here's a quick way for you to fix it. And if they remember, great. If they don't, great. But I would do that for my mom, right? Like I'm going to sit there and take the time. Um, you know, people call it white glove, um, like a white glove customer service experience or something like that. Um, but to me, it's just like, uh, my mom is one of the most important people in my life. You know, my dad, most important people in my life. I'm going to take the time and make sure that it works right and works the way they need it to before I disengage and once i disengage to your point there's always that follow-up hey is everything still going all right have you have you run into that issue again what what's going on um it, and 100 i've done that from the very beginning you know so like i said almost 17 years total now i believe um in it as a whole and it's been every day you know, every year, everyone is my mom or my dad. And, and that's how I treat them. And, and it's it's such a different experience, even for us in IT, when, when you get that from them, because, you know, things do get tough. And IT does get uh, the stuff that rolls downhill on us quite frequently. <laughs> and All when the you, time. <laughs> right. Uh, but when you tend to have a relationship with your, enters with your clients that shows that you actually do have that that type of care the empathy 
that you show for what the issue is. You know, I, I've heard you guys talk about this in the podcast uh, a lot. Um, it, you know, to, to users, their issue is the most important thing in the world. Yep. Right? 100%. They don't care what else is going on. If they can't do one thing, that's the most important thing. So to me, as soon as I'm able to get to that person, uh, again, like treating them like my parents, it's that is the most important issue on the planet to me at the time then. And I'm going to treat it as such, right? If they, If to them it's the end of the world, to me, as soon as I'm there, it's the end of the world. Armageddon is happening. The gates have opened up, right? <laughs> and that's right. how I'm going to, that's how I'm going to act and behave and resolve their issue. Give it that 100% focus. Now in the back of my mind and honestly, am I really like, did I run out of my office right away to do this? No, no, I did not. Right there. <laughs> there is a hierarchy in a way things work, but as soon as you get to them, if you make them feel like, Oh, you, you actually believe what my issue is. Oh, you understand that this is the end of the world. I can't do this. And you're acting like that. When stuff rolls downhill on IT, they're a lot more forgiving to be like, oh, no, they get it. They've, they've just had quite a bit to do. There's been a lot. Um, and I've seen that all of the places I've been. That is one of the great things with it is it kind of starts to change that that culture and that persona of IT to where it becomes no, they care. So then the company starts to, you know, starts to care right back and starts to give you a little bit more grace, a little bit more leeway um, when it comes to the downhill stuff. Um, so it just helps soften blows. So basically just with all of that being said and, and everything else, you just got to treat them, you know, really how you would treat your parents or you would treat anybody else. Um, uh, they always use the term customer service, right? And and I tend to use it as well, but um, I try to go more um, where I think of it as a uh, as a guest service instead of a customer service, right? Um, like a guest in your home, you're going to treat them with a little bit more dignity um, and respect. Not that you're going not going to do that anyway at their desk or anything like that, but if you treat them like they're a guest in your home, if they, you treat them like you it's your parents and or family members things tend to work out just a little bit better yeah you know i i've actually never really heard of it um in that sense of of as guest service um you know i think of some of the resorts and places that i've been and and they always push that kind of a culture and and you're right um that's i prefer to receive that kind of service and, and I'm much more appreciative of it. And when somebody's trying and, and putting that level of service into it, I'm willing to forgive a little bit more of the the outcome not being perfect with that kind of service. Uh, but it also is something that I'm much more appreciative of, too. Yeah, the, the, and the users, uh, you know, they're, they are our customers, right, at the end of the day. and and they show that same appreciation it you know uh, it could it could be um, many different things but to your point yeah when we go on a vacation and you're at a resort or anything like that that's 
that's exactly what it is. You you are a lot more forgiving to things that happen um, in those situations be, because of the way they go about it. So I try to do that. You know, again in in the help desk um, area, you do it in you know when you're doing dealing with network issues, anything that you have going on from the IT perspective. If you could handle things a little bit differently like that, um, like I, like I've said, uh, it tends to work out just a little bit better. You know, I I was talking with a, a coworker just the other day, and asking him about some of the the service that we were providing, and and he was telling me that he didn't think that that the uh, coworkers on the IT team um, felt like it was end of the world, um, Armageddon's coming, um, and afraid that they're going to lose their jobs if they don't get this fixed. And and I was thinking to myself, you know what? I'm kind of glad that that's the case. Um, when I'm working with, you just brought up networking, and that's why I'm thinking this. Um, when I'm talking to that network technician that I'm trying to get help from to get a site connected again, I want them on my side as an ally, not as somebody that I'm beating up and trying to get them, uh, threatening them to get the connection fixed so that they can get the um, get the blinky light blinking and get me off the phone as fast as possible. I want them involved in the problem and owning it as much as I am. Right. Yeah. And that's the biggest thing uh, to that last point, owning it, right? If something's mm-hmm. not working from the IT perspective for us, own it. I don't know how many times I sit in front of a customer and go, oh, this is completely our our mess up. Uh, we pushed out updates. Apparently, we didn't catch this in the test environment. Um, so I apologize for this inconvenience. You know, let's go ahead and take care of it. Um, but you do it. Uh, there's no reason to sit there and be like, "Well, I don't know what the issue is," when you know darn well what it is. Um, again, it, this just all plays into the same perspective of you know, as as long as you're going to be upfront and honest and transparent with. Not only your end users, but then, you know, management, executive leadership um, that you're going to work with. Those are the things that count for you when things are going wrong. Oh, you know what? We trust that he's going to get this resolved the right way. And we know he's not going to sit there and make excuses about it. Right. He's not going to pass the buck somewhere else. He's not going to say that this is an issue when it's ours. Right. It's like he's going to own it or she's going to own it, whoever's working on it. So it's an easier thing said than done, right? Like there's always, there's always those instances where you look at it and you're like, you know what? Uh, Telling my wife that I uh, had to work a little bit longer uh, instead of going to the comic book store, um, which I do quite frequently, um, you know, you know what? (laughs) Exactly. Uh, She's, She's not going to get mad, right? Like, oh, an extra 20 minutes at work instead of her knowing that, you know, I'm spending 20 minutes picking out comic books um, or or baseball cards for that matter. I, I do that as well. Um, but we think that. And then at the end of the day, you're like, why did I? Is it really that big of a deal that it was 20 minutes at the store? And you kind of transfer that into the work environment. And you go, is it really a big deal that we go? Our, oh, we didn't catch this break of an update in our test environment. We're catching it now, right? Like, 
again, that shows that you're taking ownership of whatever the issue is, uh, whatever the problem is, and then that you're taking the steps to fix it and correct it and keep it from happening in the future. Right. And, and those are the things, again, that just as a whole, if you kind of look at it that way, it just, it, it's kind of a, a little bit of a light bulb moment to go, you know what? I wouldn't want, if, if my internet's wor not working in my house, I don't want them to say, well, we don't know what the issue is and pass the buck. You know, if they cut a line doing construction, then tell me you cut a line doing construction. Right. And that's happened. I don't know how many times we have a, an office in Midland, Texas, and down there it's growing so much uh, in the oil and gas business. We have a line cut, it seems, probably once a month uh, from them doing some type of construction down there. And, uh, you know, the, it's great. The, the company we work with down there is you know, when it happens and we report the issue. You know, within an hour, it's usually a callback going up. Oh, yep, it looks like a construction crew in the area nicked one of the lines, broke some of the fiber. Uh, we're dispatching someone out to replace the line, and it's usually back up and running within a couple hours. Um, but I want to continue doing business with that company as our internet provider because they haven't sat there and and tried to, you know, pass off something. And uh, it's the same in in our industry. The, you're, you're going to get people that come back to you or want to keep working with you because you have that level of uh, transparency and honesty. So if you could summarize that thought into a sentence, what do you, what would you come up with? Summarize it into a sentence. Um, <laughs> honest, I realize you know what, what I'm asking you, man. <laughs> 100%. I'll take a golden rule uh, that we all learned as kids do unto others. Yeah. How about what have you heard the platinum rule? I'm afraid I'm not familiar with this one. It, it's a new twist on it. You know, the, the do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. But um, I've heard this one referred to as the platinum rule is um, to not treat others how you'd want to be treated yourself, but to treat others the way they want to be treated. And, it, and it's one of the, the newer sayings, I think, coming from that younger generation that we talked about a little bit. But um, but they also started to learn that, that work-life balance, too. So right. <clears throat> um, what about other thoughts? You got any other thoughts or things that you want to help pass on to others? Or, or, you know, those critical lessons that it took you years of, of blood, sweat, and crawling under desks to recognize? Yeah, you know, one of the first things, the, the little bit of a of a story, kind of. Um, several years ago, I was doing an interview trying to find a new tech um, to bring in, and part of the interview process, we have you meet with the team, uh, see how you know, see how things are going to work, and we have them ask questions to see how your thought process works, and uh, one of the people that we interviewed um one of the questions i like to ask just to see how your your brain works is you know you're working on a uh, windows 10 computer and um all of a sudden get the blue screen of death bsod and i called it bsod for a reason um i didn't say blue screen i just said working on the windows 10 get a bsod what do you do and the response from the interviewee was what's bsod and for me, that was like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Like, 
this is this is the blue screen, like one hundred percent. And so you kind of explain it. You go, oh, well, blue screen. And they're like, oh, I've never heard it called BSOD before. I completely reimage a computer. And to me, it was like, all right. So this person throws their hands up um, when when they run into a problem. Um, if you don't know what a blue screen of death is, BSOD, it's when Windows gives you that dreaded blue screen. And in the bottom corner, uh, typically in the bottom left-hand corner, you have a little code that tells you, hey, air happened because driver X failed or whatever it may be. Yeah, there's all kinds of different reasons for those folks. <laughs> if you're not familiar with them. <laughs> right. So one of the things there is, hey, there's a tip, right? And it, I did it in the interview. It was, all right, so when you get the screen, you have the code there. So it doesn't mean that the computer's toast. It doesn't mean that something is completely wrong. It means we need to do a little bit of digging and figure out, was it a driver update? Was it a, a printer? Was you know something failed within that software-wise, typically, that we just need to refresh? Um, and that's it. And that's the biggest thing I'll tell anybody is no matter what your issue is, you can't jump straight to up. I have to reimage a computer up. We have to reset a network router. You have to go through the steps. And I am a 100% true believer in the OSI model, right? Following those seven steps, the seven tiers, and you could do that with any single one of our issues that we run into in the tech space. And really, you could you can use the same principles when you run into issues, you know, if you're working with projects that intertwine between departments, like with software deploys, things like a, uh, an ERP solution, if you need to do one of those and deploy that, or voice solutions, um, no matter what it is, if you follow this basic model, right? you're going to be able to work to the right solution without really skipping anything or just going up. Oh, I don't know what it is. Go to the end. Right. Um, and mm-hmm. that's how you're going to learn. Put yourself in yeah. the fire, right? Like 100%. If I have an issue on anything, tinker around with it. Don't be afraid to brick a computer. Honestly, because the worst thing you're going to do when you brick it is, all right, we're going to have to reimage it. Yeah. As and, long as you don't release the magic smoke. <laughs> right. Or, and again, caveat to this, make sure you back up whoever's data is on there before you tinker around <laughs> with things. Because uh, I've, oh, yeah. I've been there before, too. Um, yeah. Please save a copy of everything. <laughs> You know what? Let that be the the new platinum rule. Save the data, please. Mm. Um, uh, but other than that, man, I mean, as long as people are willing to not accept failure, because failure is 100% going to happen, right? Yeah. So accept it, embrace it, and learn from that. Don't, don't get discouraged from it. If you brick the computer once, Go back to that state where you were at before you bricked it and try again. Don't try you know, the same you thing. Me, 
right? You remind me of another saying that we have out there, and, and I'm going to have to nicen it up just a little bit because we, we try not to uh, cuss too much on the podcast, but RTFM. Yep. And, and to flip that towards what you're saying, and I, I don't know how many users on the floor do this immediately, but RTFEM, um, read the flipping error message. Because there's so many times they see an error message and they, I swear, they just throw their hands up, oh, ID. And and it's something like, hey, uh, this recipient does not exist at the destination system. And and they just like, oh, this is an IT problem. It's got, it's an error. And no, you misspelled Mike. It, it's usually M-I-K-E, not M-K-I-E. Not just for tech people, for normal users. That for everybody. <laughs> Mike, I run into that on a daily basis here at 1888 to where it's it's things like that. Oh, I can't send email. And you go over and look and you're like, um, that's not our email address. What? Oh, I thought I typed it right. Like, yeah, 100%. Take a moment. Breathe. <laughs> Read the whole thing. Look and see what you can understand. And and just like you were talking about with the BSOD, look at the error message, search for the error message and see what comes up. Because it may be something simple. You may just, uh, you may only have to go in and edit the registry. <laughs> right. It, and to be honest, I mean, every time something like that happens, I quote, it's, a, it's an older movie quote um, from a comedy. And I know most of us, IT professionals, uh, this is a favorite pastime of ours to trade movie quotes. And uh, so the one I go with in this instance is it's called reading left to right, up and down. You put words together to make a sentence. And uh, <laughs> obviously, I can't say that to my users or anything, but it's the first thought in your head when you're like, you totally misspelled this or didn't put the right thing in. Um, but again, Take that as an example. Keep it light for yourself. Like, there's no reason yeah. to get stressed out over someone typing the wrong thing in an email, right? There's, uh, you're going to get stressed regardless of what happens in your career path in this in this field, or in any field for that matter. But it, you could tell yourself little stories, throw yourself little movie quotes, you know, music lines, whatever works for you, and, and you're going to get through the day a little bit happier a little less stressed out. Um, and you know what? Sometimes throw those movie lines at your customers and it'll catch them off guard and they'll laugh and it'll lighten the whole mood. Um, again, don't be afraid to try new things. Uh, it kind of goes all right back to that. Yeah. Try new things. Don't afraid. Don't be afraid to fail because it's the first step in learning and, and go and do. Absolutely. And, and do not be afraid to say, I don't know. I don't know. As long as you're honest, I don't know, but let me find out. Right. Yeah. It goes back to one of the other things that, that people say a lot is like, don't bring me, don't bring me just a problem. Bring me the problem and a potential solution. See, you're, you're twisting it a little bit. I keep hearing it lately as don't bring me problems, bring me solutions. And, and I much prefer your approach because you know, there's sometimes where I get, I've got a hammer. So everything looks like a nail and yep. there are plenty of times where a shim 
is what is needed versus a nail or a screw or trying to hammer a, a screw in. Um, so yeah, potential solution. Think it through and, and see if you can come up with something and let's see if we can make it even better. And if you can't come up with one when you bring me the problem, then let's talk about it, right? Like yeah. set up a meeting. For me, it's set up a, a you know a 15-minute meeting, come in, here's the problem. I'm having a trouble finding a solution for this. Do you have any thoughts? Like, let's brainstorm it together. Let's work it through. And I, I'm a big fan of the, uh, the Pixar model, right? Where it's basically you knock down office cubicle walls, um, and you have more of that collaborative environment, you know, where you can actually look at somebody instead of a wall. I do that. I have a bullpen for my staff and that bullpen is just set up like that to where desks are not facing walls. We are facing each other and it's meant to drive those conversations to find different solutions and, you know, to work through different problems in a different way and give it a different perspective. Yeah. You make me think of something else that I want to bring up too. It's, it's not just, you know, what's, what's the problem, but also look for the goal, ask for what, what the goal is, because there's lots of times where, we get the problem and we get focused on the problem and not the goal. And and typically between the problem and the goal is the solution. 100% correct. And so it's, you know, if, if it's something that I definitely try to remind all of the help desk guys, you got to know what their goal is because they're going to give you a solution, but sometimes understanding the problem Understanding the goal, we may have better tools to achieve it and faster and or it's already solved. They just don't know about it. Exactly. And that's why don't be afraid to ask those questions, because I I don't know how many times in true story, it, we talk to each other all the time. IT staff, you know, internally, externally, you know, we have our networking that we have uh, uh, contacts with and everything like that. But I don't know how many times maybe we're running a problem through each other or, you know, trying to figure out a solution. And quite frankly, I'll turn to my mom and she'll be like, Oh, I saw this commercial for this tool. And you're like, I'd never heard of that. You look at it. You're like, Oh crap. That actually might work for what we're looking for. Uh, you know, and, or if you're, old like me and you have kids you know my oldest is 16 and she tinkers with computers and stuff all the time i learn new stuff from her all the time and it's you're like i i've been doing this for 20 plus years at this point you know take her in with computers and everything else and i have a a, a 16 year old who's teaching me you know new technology that's out there she was actually the one who was showing me how chat gpt works and i was like holy Oh my goodness. Like this makes some things a lot easier, could make things a lot yeah. harder, <laughs> but that's, you know, at that piece right there, remember in all yeah. the times that you try to make things easier for people, you've got to be, it's a fine line because making things easier could very easily make things a lot harder. Yeah. yeah I've complicated way too many things myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all have, sir. We all have. All right. Hey, I saw something else in your resume that I thought was really kind of cool. So um, tell me a little more about Big Stewie. Ah, 
Well, for those of you that don't know um, or didn't pay attention at the beginning, my last name is Stewart. Um, and there's a million Joshes in this world. And uh, growing up, you know, we always, I tried to figure out, like, I would have two or three different Joshes in each class as a kid. And it was always like, oh, so this one's Josh, this one's Joshua, uh, we'll call the other one, you know, whatever. And I was actually about three years old. Um, and I only remember this because it's on video. So there's video proof of this that exists. Um, but my my father played professional baseball. Um, he was drafted by the Mariners in the early 80s. Um, he just played minor league ball with them before he became a police officer. But uh, it was a uh, basically like a spring training game, uh, batting practice thing. And on the tape, they're calling him Stewie. And it kind of, from that point, there's always that memory that goes, oh, Stewie, 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 goes with the last name. Um, so they used to call him Big Stewie. Um, he's just a big, muscular guy. And then uh, for me growing up, it just kind of took hold in, in middle school, high school, where kids would start calling you Stewie based on the last name. Um, so I kind of took that and ran with it. And just decided, uh, you know, when I was 16 years old and I loved music, I wanted to start, you know, playing music um, at at parties. And it turned into doing it at weddings and bar mitzvahs and corporate events and everything else. And then you start thinking of names that go with it, um, you know, because you have like DJ Khaled. Shout out DJ Khaled. Follow me on Twitter. Because I have no followers, DJ Khaled. I want to <laughs> steal all yours, um, right? Or like Diplo or Skrillex. Like all these guys, all these musicians have names. So I just went to the well and went. You know what? People call me Stewie. All right, so DJ Stewie. Which there's already one that exists in the world. So I curse that person's name every day. And I went. Well, what else can I do? And I just took the line from my dad and went. Big Stewie. All right. Big Stewie it is. So I go by DJ Big Stewie when I do some of these events and, and stuff. And um, when I started doing that when I was 16, you know, you kind of have to start a, a DJ business because unfortunately the government wants to track everything that we do income wise um, and other ways. But that's for a different day. And Big Stewie Entertainment was born. So um, I do quite a bit of nowadays i don't do necessarily like weddings or anything like that anymore um but i do a lot of corporate events i do a lot of charity events um every year um and it's a great way and it it honestly fits in with the announcing that we talked about earlier in, in the show um you know that's kind of where people were like oh you have a you have a voice for radio um because my face is not for tv and <laughs> <laughs> And it just, it morphed from there. And it was like, okay, I, I can do this. I, I can, I could turn on the radio voice. And all of a sudden it's like, all right, well now you can do the announcer. And so I started doing that. So they kind of bled together. And, and that's really where all those opportunities, you know, uh, started to come from. So yeah, you ever need any DJ services in the Colorado region or in the mountain region? Honestly, I've done it all over the country. So Feel free to reach out. Uh, the real big stew on Twitter. The real big stew on Twitter. You follow me there. 
Right on. Yeah, I was going to give you that chance and ask you, is there anything you wanted to promote? And Got anything else you want to promote? So one other thing, if you don't mind. Um, so not. as I mentioned, my dad played baseball. He was a, also then a police officer after his baseball career. Um, he just recently retired after 38 years in law enforcement. He retired as a deputy chief. Um, he worked last with Loveland PD in Loveland, Colorado. Um, and he has decided to dip his toes in the podcast waters. Um, so he actually has a show. It's really geared towards uh, police officers. Um, it covers uh, search and seizure of the Fourth Amendment of the Constitution. Um, and it's really helpful for really anybody that has interest in it. Um, you know, lawyers, police officers are just normal people. Um, so it's called The Corner uh websites thecornerpod.com um you can find it on spotify apple podcasts uh youtube rumble um exists everywhere so check that out or if you know anybody that you know is, works in law enforcement or wants to learn more about certain things from those aspects uh you know pass it along but again that's thecornerpod.com for the website well, again podcast is called the corner with eric stewart um, and that's it cool well josh Stewie, it's been a wonderful conversation. Thank you for the insights. Thank you for the time. It's um, definitely been an enjoyable conversation. So uh, thanking you from Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, Mike Kelly, your co-host. Everyone have a wonderful day. Thanks again, Josh. Thank you.